0: Shoes and stockings a collection of short stories by louisa may alcott this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by carolyn francis a country christmas part 2 by louisa may alcott As if drawn by the merry sound, Aunt Plummy appeared, and being established in the rocking chair, fell to talking as easily as if she had known her guests for years. "'Laugh away, young folks. That's better for digestion than any of the messes people use. Are you troubled with dyspepsy, dear? You didn't seem to take your victuals very hearty, so I mistrusted you was delicate,' she said, looking at Emily. "'whose pale cheeks and weary eyes "'told the story of late hours and a gay life. "'I haven't eaten so much for years, "'I assure you, Mrs. Bassett. "'But it was impossible to taste all your good things. "'I'm not dyspeptic, thank you, "'but a little seedy and tired, "'for I've been working rather hard lately. "'Be you a teacher, or have you a profession? "'As they call a trade nowadays?' asked the old lady in a tone of kindly interest, which prevented a laugh at the idea of Emily's being anything but a beauty and a belle. The others kept their countenances with difficulty, and she answered demurely, "'I have no trade as yet, but I dare say I should be happier if I had.' "'Not a doubt on it, my dear.' What would you recommend, ma'am? I should say dressmaking was rather in your line, ain't it? Your clothes is dreadful tasty, and do you credit if you made em yourself? And Aunt Plummy surveyed with feminine interest the simple elegance of the travelling dress which was the masterpiece of a French modiste. No, ma'am, I don't make my own things, I'm too lazy it takes so much time and trouble to select them that i have only strength left to wear them housekeeping used to be the favorite profession in my day it ain't fashionable now but it needs a sight of training to be perfect in all that's required and i've an idea it would be a sight healthier and usefuler than the painting and music and fancy work young women do nowadays but every one wants some beauty in their lives and each one has a different sphere to fill if one can only find it Pears to me there's no call for so much art when natter is full of beauty for them that can see and love it as for spears and so on i've a notion if each of us did up our own little chores smart and thorough we needn't go wandering round to set the world to rights THAT'S THE LORD'S JOB, AND I PRESUME TO SAY HE CAN DO IT WITHOUT ANY ADVICE OF ARN. SOMETHING IN THE HOMELY BUT TRUE WORDS SEEMED TO REBUKE THE THREE LISTENERS FOR WASTED LIVES, AND FOR A MOMENT THERE WAS NO SOUND BUT THE CRACKLE OF THE FIRE, THE BRISK CLICK OF THE OLD LADY'S KNITTING NEEDLES, AND RUTH'S VOICE SINGING OVERHEAD AS SHE MADE READY TO JOIN THE PARTY BELOW. "'To judge by that sweet sound you have done at one of your chores very beautifully, Mrs. Bassett, and in spite of the follies of our day, succeeded in keeping one girl healthy, happy, and unspoiled,' said Emily, looking up into the peaceful old face with her own lovely one full of respect and envy. "'I do hope so, for she's my ewe-lamb, the last of four dear little girls.' "'All the rest are in the burying-ground side of father. "'I don't expect to keep her long, "'and don't ought to regret when I lose her, "'for Saul is the best of sons, "'but daughters is more to mothers somehow, "'and I always yearn over girls "'that is left without a broodin' wing "'to keep em safe and warm "'in this world of tribulation.' "'Aunt Plummy laid her hand "'on Sophie's head as she spoke, "'with such a motherly look,' that both girls drew nearer, and Randall resolved to put her in a book without delay. Presently Saul returned with little Ruth hanging on his arm and shyly nestling near him as he took the three-cornered leathern chair in the chimney-nook, while she sat on a stool close by. "'Now the circle is complete and the picture perfect. Don't light the lamps yet, please, but—' "'Talk away and let me make a mental study of you. "'I seldom find so charming a scene to paint,' said Randall, "'beginning to enjoy himself immensely with a true artist's taste for novelty and effect. "'Tell us about your book, for we have been reading it as it comes out in the magazine "'and are much exercised about how it's going to end,' began Saul, "'gallantly throwing himself into the breach,' FOR A MOMENTARY EMBARRASSMENT FELL UPON THE WOMEN AT THE IDEA OF SITTING FOR THEIR PORTRAITS BEFORE THEY WERE READY. "'Do you really read my poor serial up here, and do me the honour to like it?' asked the novelist, both flattered and amused, for his work was of the aesthetic sort, microscopic studies of character, and careful pictures of modern life. "'Sakes alive!' "'Why shouldn't we?' cried Aunt Plummy. "'We have some education, though we ain't very genteel. "'We've got a town library, kept up by the women mostly, "'with fairs and tea-parties and so on. "'We have all the magazines regular, "'and Saul reads out the pieces while Ruth sews and I knit, "'my eyes being poor. "'Our winter is long, and evenings would be kinder lonesome, "'if we didn't have novels and newspapers to cheer him up.' "'I'm very glad I can help to beguile them for you. "'Now tell me what you honestly think of my work. "'Criticism is always valuable, and I should really like yours, Mrs. Bassett,' "'said Randall, wondering what the good woman would make of the delicate analysis "'and worldly wisdom on which he prided himself. "'Short work.' as Aunt Plummy soon showed him, for she rather enjoyed freeing her mind at all times, and decidedly resented the insinuation that country folk could not appreciate light literature as well as city people. I ain't no great of a judge about anything but naturalness of books, and it really does seem as if some of your men and women was dreadful and comfortable critters— Pears to me it ain't wise to be always picking ourselves to pieces and prying into things that ought to come gradual by way of experience and the visitations of providence. Flowers won't blow worth a cent if you pull em open. Better wait and see what they can do alone. I do relish the smart sayings, the odd ways of furrin' parts, and the sarcastic slaps at folks' weak spots. But— "'Massy knows we can't live on Spice Cake and Charlotte-Rouche, "'and I do feel as if books was more sustainin' "'if they was full of everyday people and things, "'like good bread and butter. "'Them that goes to the heart and ain't soon forgotten "'is the kind I hanker for. "'Miss Terry's books now, and Miss Stowe's, "'and Dickens' Christmas pieces. "'Them is real sweet and cheerin' to my mind.' As the blunt old lady paused, it was evident she had produced a sensation, for Saul smiled at the fire, Ruth looked dismayed at this assault upon one of her idols, and the young ladies were both astonished and amused at the keenness of the new critic who dared express what they had often felt. Randall, however, was quite composed and laughed good-naturedly though secretly feeling as if a pail of cold water had been poured over him. "'Many thanks, madam. You have discovered my weak point with surprising accuracy. But you see I cannot help picking folks to pieces as you have expressed it. That is my gift, and it has its attractions, as the sale of my books will testify. People like the spice-bread and "'as that is the only sort my oven will bake, "'I must keep on in order to make my living. "'So rum sellers say, "'but it ain't a good trade to foller, "'and I'd chop wood for I'd earn my livin' harmin' my feller man. "'Peers to me, I'd let my oven cool a spell "'and hunt up some homely happy folks to write about, "'folks that don't borrow trouble "'and go lookin' for holes in their neighbor's coats.' But take their lives brave and cheerful, and rememberin we are all human, have pity on the weak, and try to be as full of mercy, patience, and love, and kindness as him who made us that sort of a book would do a heap of good, be real warmin and strengthenin and make them that read it love the man that wrote it and remember him when he was dead and gone. I wish I could. And Randall meant what he said, for he was as tired of his own style as a watchmaker might be of the magnifying glass through which he strains his eyes all day. He knew that the heart was left out of his work, and that both mind and soul were growing morbid with dwelling on the faulty, absurd, and metaphysical phases of life and character. He often threw down his pen and vowed he would write no more but he loved ease, and the books brought money readily. He was accustomed to the stimulant of praise, and missed it as a topper misses his wine. So that which had once been a pleasure to himself and others was fast becoming a burden and a disappointment. The brief pause which followed his involuntary betrayal of discontent was broken by Ruth, "'who exclaimed, with a girlish enthusiasm "'that overpowered girlish bashfulness, "'I think all the novels are splendid. "'I hope you will write hundreds more, "'and I shall live to read them. "'Bravo, my gentle champion. "'I promise that I will write one more at least, "'and have a heroine in it "'whom your mother will both admire and love,' "'answered Randall surprised to find how grateful he was for the girl's approval, and how rapidly his trained fancy began to paint the background on which he hoped to copy this fresh human daisy. Abashed by her involuntary outburst, Ruth tried to face herself behind Saul's broad shoulder, and he brought the conversation back to its starting point by saying in a tone of the most sincere interest, "'Speaking of the serial, I am very anxious to know how your hero comes out. "'He's a fine fellow, and I can't decide whether he is going to spoil his life marrying that silly woman, "'or do something grand and generous, and not be made a fool of. "'Upon my soul, I don't know myself. "'It is very hard to find new finales. "'Can't you suggest something, Major?' and then I shall not be obliged to leave my story without an end, as people complained I am rather fond of doing. Well, no, I don't think I've anything to offer. Seems to me it isn't the sensational exploits that show the hero best, but some great sacrifice quietly made by a common sort of man who is noble without knowing it. I saw a good many such during the war, AND OFTEN WISH I COULD WRITE THEM DOWN, FOR IT IS SURPRISING HOW MUCH COURAGE, GOODNESS, AND REAL PIETY IS STOWED AWAY IN COMMON FOLKS, READY TO SHOW WHEN THE RIGHT TIME COMES. TELL US OF THEM, AND I'LL BLESS YOU FOR A HINT. NO ONE KNOWS THE ANGUISH OF AN AUTHOR'S SPIRIT WHEN HE CAN'T RING DOWN THE CURTAIN ON AN EFFECTIVE TABLEAU, SAID RANDALL with a glance at his friends to ask their aid in eliciting an anecdote or reminiscence. "'Tell about the splendid fellow who had the bridge, like Horatius, till help came. "'That was a thrilling story, I assure you,' answered Sophie, with an inviting smile. But Saul would not be his own hero, and said briefly— Any man can be brave when the battle fever is on him, and it only takes a little physical courage to dash ahead. He paused a moment, with his eyes on the snowy landscape without, where twilight was deepening. Then, as if constrained by the memory that winter scene evoked, he slowly continued, "'One of the bravest things I ever knew,' "'was done by a poor fellow who had been a hero to me ever since, "'though I only met him that night. "'It was after one of the big battles of that last winter, "'and I was knocked over with a broken leg "'and two or three bullets here and there. "'Night was coming on, snow falling, "'and a sharp wind blew over the field "'where a lot of us lay, dead and alive.' "'waiting for the ambulance to come and pick us up. "'There was a skirmishing going on not far off, "'and our prospects were rather poor between frost and fire. "'I was calculating how I'd manage "'when I found two poor chaps close by who were worse off, "'so I braced up and did what I could for them. "'One had an arm blown away and kept up a dreadful groaning. "'The other was shot bad.' "'and bleeding to death for want of help, but never complained. "'He was nearest, and I liked his pluck, "'for he spoke cheerful and made me ashamed to growl. "'Sometimes make dreadful brutes of men "'if they haven't something to hold on to. "'And all three of us were most wild with pain and cold and hunger, "'for we'd fought all day fasting. "'When we heard a rumble in the road below,' "'and saw lanterns bobbing round. "'That meant life to us, "'and we all tried to holler. Two of us were pretty faint, "'but I managed a good yell, and they heard it. "'Room for one more. "'Hard luck, old boys, but we are full "'and must save the worst wounded first. "'Take a drink and hold on till we come back,' "'says one of them, with the stretcher. "'Here's the one to go,' I says.' "'pointing out my man, "'for I saw by the light "'that he was hard hit. "'No, that one. "'He's got more chances than I, "'or this one. "'He's young and got a mother. "'I'll wait,' said the good feller, "'touching my arm, "'for he'd heard me muttering to myself "'about this dear old lady. "'We always want mother "'when we are down, you know.' "'Saul's eyes turned to the beloved face,' With a glance of tenderest affection, and Aunt Plummy answered with a dismal groan at the recollection of his need that night and her absence. Well, to be short, the groaning chap was taken and my man left. I was mad, but there was no time for talk, and the selfish one went off and left that poor feller to run his one chance. I had my rifle. "'and guessed I could hobble up to use it if need be. "'So we settled back to wait without much hope of help, "'everything being in a muddle. "'And wait we did till morning, "'for that ambulance did not come back till next day "'when most of us were past needing it. "'I'll never forget that night. i dream it all over again as plain as if it was real. "'Snow, cold, cold darkness, hunger, thirst, pain, and all round us cries and cursing, growing less and less, till at last only the wind went moaning over that meadow. It was awful, so lonesome, helpless, and seemingly God-forsaken. Hour after hour we lay there, side by side, under one coat, waiting to be saved or die, for the wind grew strong and we grew weak. Saul drew a long breath and held his hands to the fire as if he felt again the sharp suffering of that night. And the man, asked Emily, softly, as if reluctant to break the silence. He was a man. In times like that, men talk like brothers and show what they are. Lying there, slowly freezing, Joe Cummings told me about his wife and babies, his old folks waiting for him, all depending on him, yet all ready to give him up when he was needed. A plain man, but honest and true, and loving as a woman. I soon saw that he went on talking, half to me and half to himself, for sometimes he wandered a little toward the end. I've read books, heard sermons, and seen good folks, but nothing ever came so close or did me so much good as seeing this man die. He had one chance, and gave it cheerfully. He longed for those he loved, and let em go with a goodbye they couldn't hear. He suffered all the pains we most shrink from without a murmur, and kept my heart warm while his own was growing cold. IT'S NO USE TRYING TO TELL THAT PART OF IT. BUT I HEARD PRAYERS THAT NIGHT THAT MEANT SOMETHING. AND I SAW HOW FAITH COULD HOLD A SOUL UP WHEN EVERYTHING WAS GONE BUT GOD. SAUL STOPPED THERE WITH A SUDDEN HUSKINESS IN HIS DEEP VOICE. AND WHEN HE WENT ON, IT WAS IN THE TONE OF ONE WHO SPEAKS OF A DEAR FRIEND. JOE GREW STILL BY AND BY. "'and I thought he was asleep, "'for I felt his breath when I tucked him up "'and his hand held on to mine. "'The cold sort of numbed me, "'and I dropped off, "'too weak and stupid to think or feel. "'I never should have waked up "'if it hadn't been for Joe. "'When I came to it was morning, "'and I thought I was dead, "'for all I could see was that great field "'of white mounds like graves "'and a splendid sky above.' Then I looked for Joe, remembering that he had put my coat back over me, and lay stiff and still under the snow that covered him like a shroud, all except his face. A bit of my cape had blown over it, and when I took it off and the sun shone on his dead face, I declare to you it was so full of heavenly peace— I felt as if that common man had been glorified by God's light and rewarded by God's well done. That's all. No one spoke for a moment, while the women wiped their eyes and Saul dropped his as if to hide something softer than tears. It was very noble, very touching, and you? "'How did you get off at last?' asked Randall, with real admiration and respect in his usually languid face. "'Crawled off,' answered Saul, relapsing into his former brevity of speech. "'Why not before, and save yourself all that misery?' "'Couldn't leave Joe.' "'Ah, I see. There were two heroes that night.' "'Dozens, I've no doubt. "'Those were times that made heroes of men, and women, too.' "'Tell us more,' begged Emily, "'looking up with an expression none of her admirers ever brought to her face, "'by their softest compliments or wiliest gossip. "'I've done my part. "'It's Mr. Randall's turn now.' And Saul drew himself out of the ruddy circle of firelight as if ashamed of the prominent part he was playing. Sophie and her friend had often heard Randall talk, for he was an accomplished raconteur, but that night he exerted himself and was unusually brilliant and entertaining, as if upon his mettle. The Basts were charmed. They sat late and were very merry for Aunt Plummy got up a little supper for them, and her cider was as exhilarating as champagne. When they parted for the night, and Sophie kissed her aunt, Emily did the same, saying heartily, It seems as if I'd known you all my life, and this is certainly the most enchanting old place that ever was. Glad you like it, dear, but it ain't all fun, as you'll find out tomorrow when you go to work for sophie says you must answered mrs bassett as her guests trooped away rashly promising to like everything end of part 2